0: Good afternoon to all of you. It's a privilege to be here with you this afternoon. That was very beautiful, special music, very melodic. It's nice to listen to people with talent. <laughs> Some of us don't quite have that same gift. You know, it's hard to believe we're in December of 2020. You know, I was looking at my calendar this afternoon, actually this morning, and last December, we were traveling. We were doing things. Uh, we had a big family weekend. we were planning for a general ministerial conference and all of a sudden, the bottom fell out. Uh, the traveling disappeared. Uh, we canceled all kind of things had to scramble over the summer uh, to plan fee sites that uh, regulations kept changing. It really had been a An amazing year with everything that has happened. But, you know, world events didn't stop. The traveling stopped, but world events did not. The Middle East continued to heat up. Uh, The relationship with China and the West seems to have deteriorated even more. You know, the Brexit becomes final at the end of this month. I have to see what's going to happen after that. It's going to be interesting, interesting to see what's going to happen in 2021. <laughs> is it going to be more of the same? Uh, I saw an article <clears throat> just last night that the Pope may do some things this coming year, which is going to be interesting to watch. You know, the challenges are going to continue. The challenges are not going to disappear. But I want to talk this afternoon about needs not so much challenges, but needs. What is one of the biggest needs that we face in the church today? What's one of the biggest needs we face in the church today? In fact, what's one of the biggest needs we face in our families today? What's one of the biggest needs we face in our families today? What's one of the biggest needs we face in society today? And why stop there? What's one of the biggest needs we have in the world today? I want to talk about some of those things this afternoon. To begin with, in the church, recently we had several ministers decided to uh, disagree with some of the decisions the church has made, and they decided to leave and start their own organization. And a number of people followed them. A number of people followed them. In some congregations where this occurred, and this occurred basically in some pockets around the country, not everywhere, but it was disruptive and uh, kind of discouraging. But, you know, it's not the first time people have left the church. Looking back over the last 25 years in the global and living Church of God, about uh, 20, about a dozen or more individuals decided to leave the church and start their own organization. What I want to talk about this afternoon in reference to the church is, why do people leave the church? Why do individuals leave? And why do some individuals follow those people? Why do they follow? Then another question is, why don't some people leave? (laughs) Why do some people stay? And why don't some people follow? The reason for bringing this up is that what I want to ask really and focus on, what lessons can we learn relative to the church when we see people depart like this? What lessons can we learn? We're going to talk about 1 Corinthians 10 a little bit later. But that's just in the church. Today we're seeing families coming apart. Families coming apart. You know, fathers get focused or husbands get focused on their job. Wives are not in the homes anymore. But why are these families in our society coming apart today? Because the family's been the fundamental unit of society for literally thousands of years. And yet it's coming apart today. Why? Why are societies fragmenting today? America is coming apart. Britain is coming apart. South Africa is coming apart. Why are these things happening? And then you look at the world. The nations of the world are angry and divided. And the phrase, the winds of war are blowing again. The winds of war are blowing again. You know, what's causing and contributing to these serious problems? What I'd like to ask here is, what is missing? What is missing in the church today for a number of people? What is missing in our families today that these things are happening? What's missing in our nation that our nation's coming apart? And what is missing in the world? Why are these things happening How can these destructive changes be prevented or be reversed? You know, these are not just academic questions, because we've been called out of this world to prepare for the coming kingdom of God. It's going to be physical people live over into the kingdom of God, and we're going to have to deal with some of these issues in churches, in families, in societies, and in the world. You know, we can get an insight into what's missing today if you'll turn to Galatians chapter 2. And I'll get to the title of the sermon in just a minute. But in Galatians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul went up to um, Jerusalem and he talked with the leaders up there in Jerusalem. But he perceived something about the people that were in Jerusalem, especially the leaders In verse 9 of Galatians chapter 2, it says, When James and Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles. But they perceived that Peter and James and John were pillars. They were pillars in the church in Jerusalem. Now go to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, it's talking about the Philadelphia era of the church. In verse 8, it says, I know your works, see, I've set before you an open door that no man can shut, for, if you have, <clears throat> for you have little strength, but you've kept my name. In verse 10, it talks about, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which will come upon the whole world. He's talking about the tribulation. Verse 11, Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast that which you have, that no man take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him or her a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out no more. I will write upon him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven. You know, when I first read that verse years ago that I become, we could become a pillar in the temple of God and that we'll go out no more. I thought we'd just be standing there in the temple in Jerusalem like a pillar uh, doing nothing. And yet, you know, working at headquarters here, I think those of us that are here have had this opportunity to travel out around the world. We're not stuck here. I mean, part of our job is to go out and work with people all around the world. That's why you've been called. That's why we're here, to prepare to become pillars in the temple of God in the coming kingdom of God. So Paul saw that Peter and James and John were pillars in the church of God in Jerusalem. We've been called to become pillars in God's temple in the coming kingdom of God. And this is what I want to talk about this afternoon. My title is The Need for Pillars. The Need for Pillars. I want to talk about what a pillar is, why they are important, and how you can become a pillar in the temple of God and in the church today. So to begin with, let's define some terms. You know, pillars is is a word, it's a term. But words can mean different things to different people. Different things to different people. Heard a story about a college kid that came home from college, and he went to a family reunion. And he was telling people at the reunion, you know, we're studying Islam, and I'm learning about the five pillars of Islam, and you really need to learn about those pillars. But he had an uncle from down south. He said, what do these people need five pillars for? He said, I sleep every night and get a good night's sleep on one pillar. (laughs) See, different words mean different things to different people. <laughs> but Paul uses the word stylos for pillar. He uses the word stylos for pillar. And it means a column. We don't have any columns in this big room, but I, was, I gave this sermon in another congregation, in another place where they had some pillars down the middle of the room. And it was a second story. And we're glad that those pillars were very solid. Otherwise, it would be looked like pancakes if somebody sneezed or was saying too loud and and the second floor came down. But it means a pillar or a column, a strong support for a roof, a strong support for a roof or a building. And these strong supports are extremely important. We get a feel for that whenever you look at... uh, Judges 16 where it talks about Samson. You know, they put his eyes out and they brought him into a temple and they were mocking him. And he told the young boy that was with him, he said, put my hands on the supporting pillars. Put my hands on the supporting pillars. And then he pushed. The ceiling came down and 3,000 people died because the pillars buckled. The pillars buckled. Pillars can also be a monument. A monument to an important person. You know, the Old Testament talks about about 50 different places where there was a pillar put up to mark a grave. Uh, I remember traveling <clears throat> through Ireland, Ireland, a number of places. They have piles of stones, and those piles of stones symbolize a battle was fought there or a king died there and they buried them. You know, pillars and columns remind us of our past. And people today are trying to tear down pillars that remind us of who we are or what has happened, lessons that can be learned. When we throw those things away or tear them down, we lose aspects of our history. We lose who we are and what has happened and lessons that could be learned if we remember those things. But the word stylos can also mean a leader. A pillar can be a leader. And that was what... Uh, Paul was talking about in Galatians, what John was talking about in Revelation. A strong supporter of a cause, a strong supporter of an organization, a strong supporter of a church, and that's what Paul was talking about. Peter, James, and John were, were pillars in the early Jerusalem church, and were to become pillars in the temple of God in the coming kingdom of God. And to be those pillars, we've got to develop certain qualities. You know, the world tends to go off in a a totally different direction. They read about pillars. In the Middle Ages, they had what they called pillar saints. Not pillow saints, (laughs) but pillar saints. These guys, in some cases, they were women. They would climb up on a pillar and they'd stay up there for weeks, or in some cases, years. And they'd have to let a rope down, somebody put some food on it, then pull it back up. And they were there to demonstrate their endurance, to demonstrate their spirituality. In fact, I was reading about this. Look it up in the, the in, uh, in an encyclopedia or in Wikipedia, one of these things. Look up pillar saints. Not pillow saints, but pillar saints. <laughs> In some cases, they would get these pillars, and they wouldn't be that far apart, and they would argue back and forth, these two very spiritual people, as to who was right and who was wrong. But this is what the world does. They take this concept of a pillar uh, and saints and put it together in a very interesting way. But this is not how we become pillars in the temple of God, by climbing up on a, a pillar and then standing up there or sitting up there for weeks or months on end. You know, without strong pillars, organizations crumble. Without strong pillars, organizations crumble. And families crumble. And nations crumble. Without strong pillars. God's going to use saints as his pillars in the coming kingdom of God to literally change the world. To literally change the world. That's why we're here. To become pillars. Okay, why do we need to become pillars? Turn to Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. Why do we need to become pillars? Romans 8 and verse 16 says, The Spirit... himself or itself, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Right now we're children of God. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified with him. We're children now, but we are to become heirs, inherit what God wants to give us. Inherit eternal life. To work with Jesus Christ in the coming kingdom of God. Another scripture, John touches on the same thing. It's interesting, Paul and John are talking about some very similar things. In 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, talking about our future. Verse 1, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Same thing Paul was talking about. Therefore the world does not know us, doesn't recognize us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, and we shall see Him as He is. You know, the disciples saw Jesus Christ when he was transfigured, and he literally radiated energy. He literally radiated energy. They saw what uh, <clears throat> a spirit being is going to be like, and they realized that's that's our future. You know, as we look in the mirror, <laughs> we look at this person that we don't even recognize anymore because our hair is falling out and various things are happening to us, It does give us some hope to realize this is all going to go one of these days. And we're going to be spirit beings. They're going to live forever. That is, if we are pillars, if we become strong pillars, we're to become like him. This is the opportunity that we're being offered today. If we want to become like God, let's ask another question. What is God like? What is God like in reference to pillars? Let's go back to Psalm 18. You know, the Bible describes some of the characteristics of God. We don't have time to go through all of them today, but I wanted to focus on just a couple. In Psalm 18, verses 1 and 2, qualities of God, what we've got to become like to become like God. David writes here in Psalm 18, verse 1, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. O Lord, my strength. Pillars are strong. Pillars you can lean on. You know, we had a house when we lived up in Bridgewater, Massachusetts. It looked like a little Mount Vernon. It was a frame house, but it had four white pillars on the front. And they're made out of two by one by 12, so they're fairly wide. And we had some people from church up one afternoon, and one guy said, wow, this looks really regal. <laughs> I said, don't lean on the pillars. <laughs> don't lean on the pillars. There was a steel pipe going up the middle. But if you pushed on the pillar, it would swing back and forth. So I said, don't lean on the pillars. They look impressive, but they're fake. They're fake. But David says here, I will love you, O my Lord, my strength. My strength. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my rock and my deliverer. That you can look to God to deliver you. You can look to God to protect you. My rock, my fortress. I was looking up some pictures on the internet the other night of some castles and fortresses in Europe. And you got these big things, mostly up on hilltops, where they were in naturally protected areas. But they were there because it was strong. It was there because they were built on a rock. My Deliverer. My God, my strength in whom I trust. You know, when things don't go well for you, Romans 8.28 says, All things will work to the good for those who you trust God, that are called according to His purpose. When things get difficult, you pray about it. God, please help me, guide me, lead me. We have big decisions to make. God, show me where I need to go and show me where I don't need to go. We look to God to provide this strength and protection and deliverance. My shield and the horn of my salvation. You know, the altar in the temple in Jerusalem had horns on it. And if somebody grabbed a hold of it, that was a place of safety. My strength and my trust, my shield, my horn, my salvation. My horn of salvation. My stronghold. I will call upon the Lord, verse 3, who is worthy to be praised. So, I shall, so shall I be saved from my enemies. Pillars are there to lean on. Pillars are there to trust. I remember one time I was swimming in the ocean in New Jersey. I was about 12 or so. And I got out just a little bit beyond where I could, just where I could touch the, 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 the bottom. And I was digging my toes in. The waves would blow me in just a little bit, and I could get my toes in the sand. But then it was sucking me out when the waves went out. And I was struggling there. And I noticed this one guy was watching me, older man. He said, Sonny, are you in trouble? I said, no. <laughs> but I wasn't making any progress either. He reached over with his arm and pulled me in. I said, thank you. But he was a pillar there, something firm that you can get a hold of. The sand on the bottom wasn't doing the job, even though my toes were in it. (laughs) It wasn't keeping me from being swept out. But these qualities of God described here in Psalm 18, my strength, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer in whom I trust, Uh, My salvation, my stronghold will save me from my enemies. These are qualities that we need to be developing. You know, as parents and grandparents, you should be pillars for your kids. Somebody that you can trust and lean on. We were coming back from a trip to Germany for the feast one year, and our son Scott was, I think, about maybe 18 months old at that time. He could walk. And he was adventurous to a degree. And we were waiting in the airport. I think it was in Frankfurt, Germany. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning to get the flight. And he wanted to run. And we wanted him to exercise because we were going to get on the plane. And we didn't want to chase him all over the plane. We wanted him to go to sleep. So we are trying to wear him out. So he ran down the aisle. And I could see one of these floor sweepers coming with a red light going around, (laughs) the brushes and everything. He couldn't see it. But I saw him. And Scott's running down the hallway, yay, hey, I'm free. And all of a sudden, this floor polisher came around the corner <laughs> with the lights going on. And he saw that thing, his eyes got big, he came running back and ran around behind me and then stuck his legs, his head out between my legs. He was, he was holding on to dad. <laughs> he felt safe there. But David is saying the same thing in Psalm 18 You're my rock, my protection. My my support. And it's nice to have that. <clears throat> Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32, because Moses was talking about the same thing. And again, these are qualities we need to think about. How can we develop these qualities to become pillars? Deuteronomy thirty-two, verses three and four. Moses says here, For I I proclaim the name of the Lord. We talk about the name of God. You're talking about all of His qualities. For I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. He is the rock. His work is perfect, complete, covers everything. For all His ways are justice. Again, these are qualities of pillars that we need to develop. A God of truth. And without injustice. One of the reasons we have so many problems in the world today is that there is no justice. There's no justice. But we're going to become kings and priests, and there needs to be justice in the kingdoms that we administer. Righteous and upright is He. What's the definition of righteousness? Psalm 119, verse 172. All thy commandments are righteousness. If we're going to be pillars in the kingdom of God, we've got to operate and think in terms of the righteousness of God, the commandments of God, and that will bring justice. That will eliminate injustice in the world. In Malachi 3 in verse 6, it mentions that God does not change. God doesn't change. And this is a big contrast to the pagan gods of the world that are very capricious. You know, Allah, the, the, the Islamic people, they talk about Allah, what is God's or Allah's will? I mean, Allah's will might change <laughs> from one day to another. You read about some of the German gods that uh, I think it was Thor, that he was the god of wisdom and the god of war. Well, how do you do both of these things? Uh, Read about some of them a little bit. Pagan gods were capricious, whereas God says he does not change. What's true today is true tomorrow, it's going to be true next week. It's interesting. His laws don't change. His promises don't change. His plan doesn't change. His instructions don't change. And it mentions there in in, uh, Malachi 3, it says, and it's a good thing for you. (laughs) It's a good thing for you that God doesn't change. That he's there. He's the pillar that we can lean on. James 1.17 mentions that uh, there is no variation or turning with God. James 1.17, there's no variation, there's no changing with God. God is permanent. He's a rock. He doesn't change. First Corinthians ten four mentions the rock that followed them was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is just like his Father. He doesn't change. He doesn't change. And that's what we need to be developing. We don't we don't change. We don't flip around. We don't change our mind. We don't flop around. Hebrews 13 and verse 8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yesterday and today and forever. He doesn't change. He's the rock. You know, to become like God and like Jesus Christ, we've got to develop these same godly qualities. This is our challenge. This is our challenge. To develop these same godly qualities, to be firm, to be unchanging that we just stay straight on course. We don't go to the right. We don't go to the left. We stay straight on. We stay straight on. These are the qualities we need to develop. Okay, how do you, de- how do you become a stable pillar? I want to give you five points, but they're not the five pillars of Islam. <laughs> I want to give you five points. How do you become a pillar? You've got to have directions and guidelines first thessalonians 521 let's take it let's read it quickly There's a scripture I never knew was in the bible until I came in contact with the church of God first thessalonians 521 you know I grew up in Protestant churches and all I heard was just believe just believe and just trust God and it'll all work out then first thessalonians 521 It says, test all things, or prove all things, or examine everything. If you're going to believe something, examine it, prove it, nail it down, and then hold fast to what is good. So, examine everything, prove it. Mr. Armstrong used to talk numerous times years ago, and we do the same thing today. Prove that God exists. Many young people are growing up in a world today, and it's not just young people. People hear this in the media. Well, we don't know whether God exists or not. He probably doesn't. In fact, you can live your life without God. And many people are trying to do that today. But you need to prove that God exists, that he's real. Maybe review the booklets that we publish on these things. and Review these booklets with your children so that they know how to prove that God exists. Is the Bible the inspired Word of God, or is it just a collection of stories? If you've not done these things, please do these things, because this is your pillar. If you can't trust the pillar, I remember, I think, one of the quotes I came across in putting together the, the booklet on the Bible factor fiction, that the Irish and uh, Welsh bishops over there, Catholic bishops, Basically, they did a study and their their comment was, you know, the Bible is ever true and we just trust it. uh, But it's not authentic in history and stuff like that. It's okay when you talk about doctrine. But in these other areas, uh, we're not so sure. But they want you to believe it. Why would you believe something that's not true in this area or this area or that area? These are things we need to nail down. Another thing to nail down is and develop is a personal relationship with God. A personal relationship with God. You can prove that the Bible is true. You can prove that God exists. But you've got to have a relationship with that God. Where you talk to God. When you pray, you know those prayers are going up beyond the ceiling of the room. Why is this important? Go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking with his disciples, but he he offers a a warning. He says, Not everyone who says to me, verse 21, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You know, we can be praying and asking God for this and that, but unless we're doing what he's asked us to do. You know, mentions, I think it's in John 14 or 15, where it says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Many people tell you, oh, I love the Lord and I love Jesus, but they don't keep the Sabbath. They don't keep the holy days. They don't always love their neighbor. They love their neighbor if the neighbor's nice to them. (laughs) But if the neighbor's not nice, they'll they'll do them in. We've got to develop this personal relationship with God. It's it's more than just an emotional thing. You know that God exists, and you're living by His Word and trying to put that into practice in your life. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, I was in church. I was there every Sabbath in some cases. You know, I anointed people. They got better. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Your name, preached powerful sermons, cast out demons in Your name? You know, the Catholic Church has, uh, what do they call it, the exorcists that actually function um, and things happen. Uh, but they don't keep the Sabbath. They do certain things, but they don't do other things. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, uh, and they'll do these things. But verse 23, but then I will declare unto them, I never knew you. I never knew you. We never really talked. You hopped out of bed in the morning and roared out of the house and... Never bothered to pray. Well, I'll I'll say something in the car on the way to work. (laughs) No, we've got to develop a personal relationship where we take time to talk to God about the issues that we face and then do what we need to be doing in our own lives, doing the will of God. Many will say to me in that day, verse 23, I will declare unto them I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In other words, you didn't follow the instructions that I gave you. Pillars know what those instructions are. Pillars follow those instructions. And as we heard in the sermonette, they teach others how to follow those instructions. That's what pillars are going to do. You've got to be convinced that this is God's church, that this is God's way of life if you're going to try and convince somebody else of those things. Because if they see you preaching it but not doing it, (laughs) they'll brush you off. Young people will do this very quickly. So point number one is prove all things and hold fast to those things that prove right and true, especially that God exists, that the Bible is His Word, and that you know who God is. That's point number one to becoming a pillar. Point number two, Point number two is establish a solid foundation. Establish a solid foundation. Build on a rock. You know, whenever two of our grandkids were little, I saw a picture in a store and I bought for them. It was a beach scene, but it had a castle up on a rocky hillside and it had a sandcastle on the beach. And the waves were coming in and washing the sandcastle away. I gave it to them and they put it up in the bathroom above the bathtub. (laughs) So that every time they got out of the bathtub, they were drying off and they saw this picture on the wall of a castle uh, on a, a rocky hill and a sand castle on the beach that was washing away. And hopefully they will remember that as they get older. Remember that the rock needs to be there. So point number two is establish a sound, firm foundation. Your belief that God exists, your belief that the Bible is the inspired word of God, the personal relationship you have with God. This is your rock that you need to build for yourself. Point number three First Corinthians three and verse nine. First Corinthians three and verse nine. Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. <clears throat> Verse 9, he says, for we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, and you are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation, and another builds upon it. But let each take care how they build. In other words, we've got to build carefully, not just grabbing whatever's there. To build carefully, for no other foundation can anyone lay, than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble, the first things are very strong materials, very good quality materials. The last ones, wood, hay, and stubble, are not real strong. You build with straw. Now, you can actually build houses out of straw. I've seen this. They get bales of straw and build up the walls. And then they cover it with some plaster on the outside. So you can actually build a straw house that (laughs) will be fairly firm. But um, it's not the best quality material. I'd rather have some cement blocks, reinforced concrete, oak, some things like that. But we need to be careful about the quality of what we use to build with. Why? Verse 13, for each one's work or building will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. In other words, whatever we build is going to be tested and tried. It's going to be tested and tried. That's why we want to build with quality materials. With quality materials. Let's look at one other scripture in this context. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Talking about what it is that we need to be building with. Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 19 and 20. It says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers. He's talking to the Gentiles here in Ephesus. Now therefore you are no longer strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens. In other words, you're included in the plan of God. Fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God you're part of that building, having been built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, and Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. This is what we need to be building on, the teachings of Jesus Christ, the teachings of the uh, scriptures, the teachings of the prophets and the apostles. These are the rocks or the stones that we build with. So we've got to build carefully with sound materials because they're going to be tested. That's point number three. Point number four. Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16, Jesus is talking about being a light to the world, being a light and an example. Being a light and an example. People should be able to look at us, listen to our conversation, watch what we do, watch what we say. And especially parents especially parents, need to be very conscious of this. I remember one time when we first got married and Scott was little. He's not here, so I can use his example. (laughs) But we were running a little bit late. My wife was upstairs, and I yelled something out of the car. Sherry, get down here. But I didn't say it quite that way. And then I heard this little voice that was in the back seat. Mommy, get up, 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 up. And I realized, (laughs) I better be careful what comes out of my mouth, because it's going to be repeated, probably in the wrong places, (laughs) by my son or sons, whatever it was. Um, But our example is extremely important. You know, if you come to church and bring the family to church, and then you go home and roast the minister and have him for lunch, don't be surprised if your kids take off when they get old enough. And go someplace else. Because they'll see things. They'll hear things. Why stay? And this has happened. And it happens today. But we're to be lights and examples to everybody that we come in contact with. Because we need to be preparing to teach God's way. We'll be preparing to teach God's way. Isaiah 30, verses 20 and 21 says people are going to see their teachers and those teachers are going to say, this is the way. Walk you in it. This is the way to go. I think I've used this before, but <clears throat> we have a family began attending with us in one of the churches that I pastored. And they had several girls in their teens. And uh, they were just a very pleasant family. Uh, we related to them because our boys were about the same age. And... About, I don't know, several months after they started attending, one of the teenage girls called me up and said, Dr. Winnale, would you be with me when I tell my parents I'm pregnant? And I thought, thank you, (laughs) I think. So they started to cry, and she started to cry, and I started to cry. (laughs) And then when things settled down, the parents looked at me, and the girl looked at me and said, what do we do now? What do we do now? And I said, I don't know how this is going to work out. But I looked at the girl and I said, If you make a decision now to live your life a different way, I can guarantee you it's going to work out. I said, I don't know how. But it will if you do what you need to do right now. And she took some time, went through the Bible correspondence course, Council for Baptism and was baptized. And I think she got a, a job someplace. She got, had some skills. And a guy came along, happened to be a graduate of Ambassador College, dated her and said, look, I want to marry you and we'll adopt a child and let's go on from here. They got married. They had a couple more kids. Uh, I don't know where they are today, but it worked out for her because she made a decision. I'm not going to live like do things like I was doing before. I'm going to do things different, and things did work out. They did work out. <clears throat> so that's point number four, prepare to teach and be able to show people this is God's way. This is the way to do things. This is what's right. Point number five in First Peter 3:15, we need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. Why are you in this church? Why would you not eat shrimp? (laughs) Why would you not eat some of these things? Everybody does it. They're delicacies, don't you know? You need to have a reason in your own mind why you don't do those things. You need to be able to explain that to somebody that asks. So we need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. Why? 1 Peter 4, verse 12 to 17 says, trials will come along. Fiery trials will come along. I was talking with an elder in one of the congregations where some people decided to go off in a different direction. And apparently one of the elders, whenever things went off in different directions years before, had called him up and said, what are we going to do? I don't know where I'm going to go. He should have known and in his most recent thing, he went in another direction. He should have known. Where was the pillar? The pillar was wobbly. The pillar was wobbly. First Peter chapter five verses eight and nine says, "We've got to be alert to Satan. Satan knows our weak spots. If we have itching ears, he's going to pop something towards you. <laughs> They'll give you an interesting itch. <laughs> he knows our susceptibilities." And we've got to be smarter than he is. We've got to be plugged into God so that we, God, please show me, help me see. Help me see through some of these things. You know, we never had courses at Ambassador College. What to do when the church comes apart? (laughs) That was not part of the curriculum. And when things came apart, everybody was kind of on their own. And it took some people longer than others to figure things out. And some people made some decisions and then remade those decisions later when they realized they didn't make a good decision. You know, we were kind of all on our own. When I was trying to figure things out, I realized, I don't know what's going on here, because I hear one thing, I hear another thing. I just started reading through Paul's epistles. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Timothy, or 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus. And a number of phrases there is, leave, get out, <laughs> don't follow these people. Um, but we had, I, that was the pillar I went to. What, what's the book say? And then go from there. So we need to have pillars. We need to know where the rocks are. So these are five points to becoming a stable pillar. Proving all things, establish a firm foundation, and build Carefully. That's why we have scriptures like, I think it's Matthew 17:11 of recapturing true values. What is the truth in this area? What is the truth in that area? And then hang on to those things. And never let anybody take your crown by making fun of what you're doing. You need to be able to stand firm when the trials come along. So build carefully, be a lightning example, be ready to give an answer. Stable pillars are not tossed by every wind of doctrine. Well, he said this and he said that. Stable pillars go right down the center. They're not pulled off this way. They're not pulled off that way. They don't wobble in the wind. Stable pillars don't buy into every idea that comes along. Oh, I read this really cool article on the Internet. Who wrote it? I don't know, but it sounds really good. (laughs) Stable pillars don't bite on some of these things. You know, you fish for, for fish. You use different plugs, you use worms, you use this and that and the other thing. If they're not biting on one thing, you try something else. And Satan will try different (laughs) lures to get you. Because he knows what we will bite on. Some people like worms. (laughs) Some people like other things, minnows. Stable pillars don't jump from church to church. And sometimes people do, and then you realize, oh, I made a mistake. But then you get back on target. I did some drill, military drill in college with ROTC. And we had a drill meet with a bunch of different colleges. And one drill team showed up. They had spiffy uniforms, blue stripes and whatever. All their, their rifles had been chromed. The bayonets were chromed. It was really sharp looking. And uh, so they were doing their drill, and one of the guys in the back row made a wrong turn. He said, "Call him right, and he went left. And you can see this guy out there. And he did a spin around and came right back in, but he got back on track. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I don't know whether they graded the team down for that or not, but it was very obvious he went the wrong direction. But he recovered. He recovered very quickly, and that's commendable. <clears throat> But stable pillars don't jump from church to church. Now, when you're looking and proving things, sometimes you'll go different directions, and sometimes we have to learn the hard way. Stable pillars don't look to one leader this week and another leader next week. I think, <clears throat> I think Mr. Weston gave a, an assembly for living, living education students talking about know those who labor among you. Know who they are. You go back and read Galatians chapter 1 and 2. Paul was telling people, this is who I am. This is what I believe. This is where I've been. This is where I'm going. So take time to get to know the people that are speaking to you. Who are you? You know What's your angle? <laughs> what do you try to prove? <laughs> but find out, can you trust these people? Can you trust the leaders of the organization that you're in? Make sure that you can. So stable pillars are not blown by every doctrine. They don't buy into every new idea that comes along. They don't jump from church to church. They don't look to one leader this week and another leader next week. Because everybody's got a history. And you should be able to look at the history and find out where they've been and where they're going. Okay, how do you become a pillar in the church? How do you become a pillar in the church? Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. Let's read that quickly. Matthew 16 and verse 18. You know, He was asking the disciples here, who do you think that I am? And Peter says, you know, they, they said, well, you're Elijah, whether you're John the Baptist or Jeremiah... But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the predicted Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you didn't figure that out on your own. God has revealed that to you. In verse 18, he says, I will also say to you that you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell, the grave will not prevail against it. told Peter, you're a Petros. You're the small pebble. You're the building block. But on this rock, Petra, this huge, immovable rock. That's the teachings of Jesus Christ. I'm going to build my church. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it talks about the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. What the church is teaching should be true. And you need to nail those things down for yourself. Here we have an official statement of beliefs if you don't have this it'd be good to go through it on your own <clears throat> and ask yourself do i believe each one of these things can i prove it to myself from the scriptures is also on the web <clears throat> but nail these things down for yourself in 1st timothy 3 we're just going to skip through some of these scriptures you can read about the qualities of pillars He's talking about elders, talking about bishops, but these are qualities for any pillar in the coming kingdom of God and any pillar in the church today. Those qualities are there. And then you can go through First Timothy and 2 Timothy where it talks about teach no other doctrine. Don't be coming up with your own ideas. Don't be coming up with your own theories, but teach what you've been taught. Paul told Timothy that, he told Titus that, teach what you've been taught. You know, these individuals that have left recently came up with several new ideas and new doctrines. One of the doctrines was, if you wear a mask, you're dishonoring God. And yet, uh, when Moses was watching the burning bush, he, he covered his face. He realized this is God's presence. It wasn't with a mask, probably, it was probably with his cloak or something. That was Moses. Elijah, whenever God was speaking to him, he, he covered his face. So all of you people are in God's presence, but you got your faces covered. Which according to scripture is alright. Is but people were being told that you're dishonoring God if you wear a mask. And people were being told that you're sinning if you don't sing. You don't have any faith. And yet you can read in Proverbs 22 and verse 3, it says a wise man sees problems coming and he he takes evasive action to avoid getting into problems or avoid promoting problems. So they came up with their own ideas. But just numerous scriptures here, teach what you have been taught, 2 Timothy 2, 1-3, teach what you have been taught, select faithful teachers who can become pillars in the future. Second Timothy three ten says, "Follow my doctrine." Paul says, "Follow my teaching and my example." Second Timothy four verses one to eight says, "Preach the word faithfully, because in the last days people will have itching ears, and they won't listen to sound doctrine." Well, I really like this other teaching better. I like to go where I don't have to wear a mask. Because I have faith. Things can be attractive. Things can be attractive. What do you do when these issues come up? If you have faith in the Scriptures, what Scriptures do you follow when issues like this come up? Romans 16. Romans 16. Romans 16, verse 17 Paul says, I urge you, brethren, to note those or mark those or recognize those who cause divisions and offenses. When they start off with another organization, it says recognize and point out who they are. Cause divisions contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. We never taught those doctrines before, that wearing a mask was dishonoring God. There are scriptures that show that it's not. For those who are such do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, their own ideas, their own agenda. By smooth words. Now look that up in some other translations. One of the translations says spacious, specious words. Words that sound good, but are not accurate. They sound good, but they're not accurate. Accurate. That uh, if you're covering your face, then uh, you're dishonoring God. But the scriptures say, no, that you cover your face when you're in the presence of God out of respect. So it sounds good because you don't want to not have any faith. But we also have to follow the scriptures that are there. Deuteronomy 17, very quickly. How do you handle controversies that come up in the church. You just leave and start something else? Or do you follow the instructions that are there? You can read chapter uh, Deuteronomy 17, verses 8 through about um, 13. They were to take the issue to the priests, to the Levites, the leaders, they make a decision, and then were to follow that decision. Verse eleven, according to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you according to the judgments which they tell you you shall do. You shall not turn to the right or to the left from the sentence which they have pronounced upon you. Now the man who acts presumptuously, who I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it my way. The man who acts presumptuously and will not heed the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord or the judge, that man shall die. God didn't take that lightly. God did not take that lightly. So you should put the evil away from Israel, and all the people shall hear in fear and no longer act presumptuously. Now, do we have faith in that instruction, or do we just brush it off? Where is our faith? Let me conclude by talking about some of the characteristics of people that leave and some of the people that stay. Now, I've been in this job over church administration for 15 years. <laughs> Doesn't seem possible. I've been in a church for about 50 years, and some of you have been around that long too. What have we learned, or what can we learn from these situations when people leave? What I've noticed is that people that leave, especially people that leave and start their own organizations, are right in their own eyes. They're right in their own eyes. You can't talk them out of what they're going to do. Proverbs 12, verse 15 has something to say about that. Another characteristic is that they they don't seek or they ignore counsel. They don't come around. In fact, even some of the people that are leaving to follow them, they don't want to talk to the minister. They just want to leave. Because they don't want to have to answer, I think, in their own mind, why they're doing this. Proverbs 11, verse 14, talks about there is safety in a multitude of counsel, not just coming up with your own ideas. Another characteristic is that they tend to get their feelings hurt at some point in time. If you've been in a church for 50 years, you've probably had your feelings hurt <laughs> at least once. Because <laughs> we're all human beings. We're all human beings. They get their feelings hurt, they get bitter, and then they begin speaking against the authority. The Old Testament term was murmuring, murmuring. And I've been part of conversations where there was plenty of murmuring. But these are characteristics of people to leave. What about people that follow these leaders? They tend to be pretty independent-minded people. In some cases, their comments have been, we don't need a minister, we can do this all by ourselves. We can do it all by ourselves. In some cases, they are close friends of the leaders. Well, I have to go with him because he's my friend. We've hunted together and fished together and done all these things together. I just got to go with them. These are not good reasons. Some people are very sincere. They hear one story, hear another story, and they say, well, I, I think I'd better go over here because so-and-so is going over there, too. <clears throat> Another characteristic is that they tend not to be grounded in the scriptures or doctrine or in the practice of the scriptures. They're just not really grounded. So they flip this way and then they flip that way. What about the people that remain? What about the people that remain? They have characteristics too. And they tend to fall into two groups. And I'm just, this is the way I've looked at things based on 50 years' experience and 15 years with the ministry. People that stay, in some cases, are not sure, but they're going to stay anyways and kind of sit on the fence and watch and see what happens. And there's nothing wrong with that, watching to see what happens. You know, Gamaliel mentioned in Acts chapter 5, when the priest came to him and said, what about these Jesus guys? They're doing things that are kind of embarrassing to us. And What should we do? And Gamaliel said, If it's of God, you're not going to stop it. If it's not of God, it's going to come to nothing. So you don't lose anything by watching for a while. But some are sincere. Uh, They're watching who's going to stay and who's not. But then there's another group that stays. And these people know the Scriptures. They're aware of Proverbs 22, 3, where it says, Watch and don't do some things that are kind of stupid. It'll get you in trouble or cause trouble. Uh, <clears throat> they know the doctrines of the church. And they recognize what's new. And they recognize what should be taught. And they also recognize how God's government works. And I would encourage you to read through numbers 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. How does God's government work? What happens when you go against that government? In you know, Numbers 11, Moses was told to appoint 70 leaders, 70 individuals. And that kind of moved in on uh, uh, Miriam and Aaron, because they were the confidence at first. And then in Numbers 12, after Moses had appointed 70 other leaders, Miriam and Aaron began to point out problems with Moses. And in Numbers 14, they sent out the spies. Ten of them came back with negative reports. Uh, Two of them didn't. And the congregation began to murmur against Moses. You brought us out here to kill us. And then in Numbers 16, Korah got 250 leaders in Israel to gripe and complain against Moses. But in every case, Miriam became leprous, the congregation, a uh, number of them died, and in 250 leaders fell into the earth when it was opened up. And these are there as lessons of history to learn from. I don't know what's going to happen with what we've been seeing lately, but the scriptures are there. We need to remember the lessons. We need to learn from history so that we don't repeat the mistakes of history. This is how you become a pillar in the temple of God, in the church of God today, that you stay focused and you know why you're focused. You know where you're focused. Let me just mention then as we conclude, how do we relate this to families? Families are coming apart today. They're crumbling because the pillars in the family have crumbled the pillars in the family have crumbled. The dads are too busy with their jobs. Uh, Women have taken off and they're out of the home. The kids are there with nobody to raise them, really. Uh, To become a pillar in the temple of God, we've got to know and follow God's instructions about families. The husband is to be the head. The wife is to adapt to that, but to work together as a team. A marriage is between a man and a woman. Not between two men and two women, or between a man and his dog, and a lady and her cat. or The world has jumped to tracks in these areas. You know, The Pope was telling a, uh, a cardinal, I think, recently, he said, well, God made you gay. That is politics. That's not the way God made people. But that's what's being promoted today. And people buy into these things. Ephesians 5, there are roles that God made us to fulfill. There are roles there. I'd encourage you to read some books on some of these things. There's a book entitled Traits of a Healthy Family. What are the traits of a healthy family? It lists about 17 or 18. A book like The Man of Steel and Velvet, that's just one book dealing with men. Dealing with women, there's one called Fascinating Womanhood or The Excellent Wife to read some of these things and be able to show people this is how we need to go. This is the way to go. Malachi chapter 4 talks about families are going to be rebuilt in the coming kingdom of God, and we're going to need pillars to do that. Pillars to be able to say this is the way. Walk you in it. Here's how you do this. Here's how you apply these things. In terms of the world, people are going to have to be told this is not God's world. Satan is the god of this world and he's deceived everyone. He's deceived everyone in terms of religion, in terms of education, in terms of the economy, in terms of all kinds of things. One of the problems we have today is the leaders of the world have studied Machiavelli. They have not studied Moses. Machiavelli wrote in the 1500s in his book entitled The Prince, was how to get power and hold on to power with no regard to morality. And that's what it's all about. If somebody needs to go, you get rid of them. And don't worry about it. And you'll maintain power. I was reading about the fellow that is currently the head of the Mossad, the uh, spy agency in Israel. Read about him a little bit. He's been involved in some of these assassinations that have taken place over there. Now, the Israelis have gone through a holocaust. And their comment has been, never again. Never again. Said so we were defenseless before. Now we have power to defend ourselves. And they're going to use it. Now, that may lead in some very sobering directions. But people are going to have to, be, have to, be, have to learn that God's way is the way. It is the truth. And that's what the pillars are going to spread out from Jerusalem to the entire world. If we look at our world today, the world is angry and in a mess because of misguided leaders. Our nation is seriously divided because various leaders are dividing it in various ways. Our families are fragmenting because they've been given wrong information. And there are people that would like to divide the church doing their own thing. We need strong pillars today in the church. We need strong pillars in the family. We need strong pillars in our society. And we need strong pillars that are going to fill leadership roles in the coming kingdom of God, teaching and leading and guiding nations in the right direction. Brethren, let's strive to become pillars, because that's one of our biggest needs today in the church in the family, in our society, and in the world. Let's be pillars.